Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach your word, God, I just ask that, Lord, your, your Holy Spirit would, would come. Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that you would open up our minds to your revealed truth. God, that we would not uh, just, just take what's here and just kind of walk away with it and just leave it on the shelf so to speak, Lord, but that we would take it down, Lord, that we would implement it and put it into our lives, Lord, that we would live for you and you alone, for your glory, Lord, not with just um, our thoughts, Lord, but with our actions, with our, with our money, with our, with our time, with our homes, with all the things that you give us, Father. I just ask that you would uh, give us a burden to be rich towards you, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. That's a, a very new baby. That's adorable. Um, this past week, there was a little bit of a hullabaloo uh, about the Powerball lottery. Um, the, the, the grand prize, um, if you can call it a prize, was in upwards of $1.5 billion. And I don't know all the particulars of even really how the Powerball works, except I do know that you have a 1 in 300 million chance of, of winning, which is way better than being struck, or way worse than being struck by lightning. Lightning's like one in like 10 million chance of being struck by lightning. At any rate, it was all people were talking about. Because even after you pay the government their fair share, and even after you split it three ways, like apparently happened with the, the three people in our country that won it, um, you're still left with about $300 million. I think that's what they, they ended up paying out to, to the people. And um, kind of everywhere I went, that's what people were talking about. You go to the hardware store on Tuesday, you buy your Powerball ticket, because if I did, if I win, man, if I'm the one, I'm checking out of this place. I went to the plumbing shop on Thursday morning to pay, pay a, a down payment on some plumbing work that I'm having done at work, and I said, hey, how's it going, guys? Well, we didn't win the Powerball, and neither did you, because you're obviously, you're here, and you wouldn't be here if you had won. You would be someplace else, like on the first plane to Tahiti, because apparently that's what you're supposed to do if you win. And, and, and even though I didn't buy a ticket... Um, you know, when you see one and a half billion dollars, it kind of gets your mind thinking, right? What would I do with all of that newfound wealth, right? I, I have these thoughts sometimes when I'm like at McDonald's and McDonald's is giving away like fifty thousand dollars. I'm like, what would I do, right? What would what would I do with 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 something like that? And, and, and I don't think that I'm I'm out of the ordinary in in that regard. I don't think I'm out of the ordinary to to, to wonder what would my life be like 
if all of a sudden I had a lot of wealth. Uh, we, we tend to think about wealth as a society um, too much. We fantasize about it, right? We fantasize about what it would be like to, to, to have a lot of money, right? Most of our, our advertising and most of the, the corporations in the United States, that's what they're all about, is trying to get you to, 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 to give you them your money in order to buy things that they're selling, right? If you flip on the television, and, and, and it doesn't matter what you're watching. If you're watching a football game, you're going to be assailed with advertisements, like many of us are probably going to watch a football game this afternoon, and be assailed with, with advertising telling us we need the, the Chevy instead of the Ford, or the Ford instead of the Chevy, or the Dodge instead of the Chevy, or the Ford. Or, or, or if, you fl- if you don't like football and you flip on um, HGTV, which is very popular in our society, right? you're, you're going to see all these shows showing you what you could do right, if you had money. Right? You're going, to see, you're going to see people come in and you're going to see a team of carpenters do a miraculous amount of work for 30 minutes. Right? It's amazing how fast they get that stuff done. And, 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 and you're going to have all these ideas of like, oh, if I just had the right granite, right? if I just had the right um, cabinets, if I could get my trash can perfectly positioned in this spot in my cabinets. All these kinds of things. We, we just fantasize about it. We fantasize about money and wealth a lot. A lot. And even, even, even those of us who don't, don't have the funds, and, and for those of us who maybe do have a few more funds or, or, or know people who have funds, we, we see them do the exact same thing, except it just goes on and on. And, and, and that's what Jesus is really speaking to here in this passage. If you remember, this is a, a very shocking passage, or it's a very abrupt transition within our study of, of the Gospel of Luke, really within just this, this section of Luke chapter 12 into the first part of 13. If you remember, I've, I've been mentioning over the past several weeks that in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is giving a, a series of teachings. Right? He began chapter 12 with this, with this teaching on avoiding the hypocritical, moralistic religion of the Pharisees. Right? He began it, he says, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then he moved on and talked about fearing God, fearing the one who can destroy the body as well as the soul, as opposed to the ones who can just destroy the body. Don't fear the people who can just kill you. Fear the one who has the authority once he's killed you to send you into hell. And then last week, Jesus was was teaching, or, or we looked at this portion of scripture where Jesus was teaching and telling the people really to stay the course, to be faithful to God and that God will be faithful to them. And if you uh, if you proclaim me, if you acknowledge me before men, the son of man will also acknowledge you before the angels of God. And I, I've mentioned several times that really these, these passages, these teachings are very difficult. In some ways, as I'm reading through these passages and and preparing these sermons, I feel like Jesus is placing his thumb right on the nerve, right? Where where he's putting his hand right on the most painful part and and, and really speaking to these very hard things in our lives. And, And it's almost like this guy, someone in the crowd here in verse 13, it's almost like he's completely ignoring everything that Jesus is teaching. Because he doesn't ask him a question. He doesn't ask him a question really at all. He doesn't ask him a question about what he's teaching. He all of a sudden just blurts out this demand. He's like an unruly student in a classroom. He's like this. Um, I've, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Um, when I was in the, the fifth grade, there was a girl whose parents must not have been very good parents because she was always up late watching TV and she was always sleeping in class. And whenever she would raise her hand and ask a question, it didn't matter what topic, it didn't matter which class we were in. We could have been in math class or science class or, or any other class. This girl, whenever she asked a question, it was always, 
this is so-and-so, and she was always half asleep. Did you see the late show last night? And it's like, she would always ask this question about the late show, completely unrelated to whatever was going on in the classroom, and the teacher would always say, no, I did not see the late show. And neither should you. You should be asleep during the late show so you can be awake during my class. And this guy is, is like that girl. He, he just blurts out this demand. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus had just been teaching on the false religion of hypocrisy and morality. He'd been teaching on the fear of the Lord. He'd been talking about being faithful to the end. And this man bursts in, right, with a family inheritance dispute. He says, teacher, rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, we're not told anything else about this man. We aren't told if he's the younger brother. We aren't told if he's the older brother. We aren't told if he's the third, fourth, or fifth brother. right? But we do know a little bit from Jewish culture that, that a double portion, you can read about it in Deuteronomy, a double portion was supposed to go to the oldest son. And in the, the first century, generally, um, inheritances were, were passed as intact as much as possible to the oldest son to keep the family property all together. And so... From that, from that and, and, and really even with our own familiarity with, with family inheritances, we know how messy things can get. Right? How many times have you seen a family, how many times or, or how many people do you know who someone dies, and even if they don't have much, right? everyone in the family hates one another over what happens with that money. Now, how many times have you seen that happen? We, we have family members, who, who extended family members, who, who an aunt died and, and the aunt had some money, and, and they no longer speak to their siblings, right, because of how the thing went down, right? We have people who, who have stopped speaking to, to family members. who It just turns into this big, messy situation because when someone dies and, and there's, you know, a little bit of money at stake, all of a sudden people's true colors really come out. People's true colors really come out. And that's what's going on here is this man, his father has apparently passed away and he's telling, asking, demanding of Christ that Jesus will tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. This man is fighting with his brothers and that's all the information we have. And he thinks because Jesus, he, he has some false misconception of Christ that Jesus is somehow going to, to come up with a fair and equitable way for them to divide the inheritance. But Jesus looks at him, right, in verse 14, and he says, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus completely shuts down this question right away. He looks at him, this man called Jesus teacher, and Jesus looks at him and says, Man, right? He says, Anthropos. Right, the word we get anthropology for. In the Greek, it's just man, not friend. Right? Back in verse, um, verse 4, it says, I tell you, my friends. Right? Jesus was speaking to his disciples. Jesus was speaking to those whom he was close to. And this stranger all of a sudden bursts out with this demand. And Jesus looks at him and says, dude. Right? It's almost like Jesus looks at him and says, chief. Right? If it, you, we all know, if anyone calls you chief, like, it's not really a term of sincerity. Right? Look, buddy, right? When you call someone buddy, you're not friends, right? And, and so he looks at him, he says, man, I am not concerned about this. He says, who made me judge? A little later on in verse 57 of chapter 12, he says, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? He says, you have enough grace as people. If you're, if you're a follower of me, you have enough wisdom to settle this dispute on your own, you don't need me to give you a very specific instruction on, on what you're supposed to do with this inheritance. Who made me judge and arbitrator over you? 
Jesus says, I didn't come here to settle your little family dispute over your inheritance. Jesus is completely unconcerned with the inheritance, but Christ is entirely concerned with the underlying sin that leads to this demand. Jesus is entirely concerned with the underlying sin and heart motivation that leads to this man blurting out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus looks at all the people. right? It says in verse 15, And he said to them, Jesus turns back to his friends. Jesus turns back to the disciples and says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Jesus summarizes the, the sixth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20 very quickly, right? Where it says, Thou shalt not covet. You shouldn't covet your neighbor's manservant, his woman's servant, his donkey, his horse, his house, his wife, any of those things. You shouldn't covet those things. You shouldn't look at other people's possessions and have this strong desire. You shouldn't measure your worth by what you have. You shouldn't measure who you are by all of your worldly possessions or your stuff. Jesus says, Take care and be on guard. It's almost like he's saying, be careful, right? When we say be careful, right, we live in a place where there's lots of cliffs, right? And, and many of us take our kids out and go hiking and those kinds of things. And, and the kids are getting close, right? And you're saying, be careful, take care, watch your step, right? Don't fall over the hedge or don't do something too dangerous. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you need to watch your route here. You need to watch where you're walking, not to fall into covetousness, but also to be on guard. Jesus uses um, two phrases, take care, be careful, and also be on your guard against all covetousness. Because covetousness, I think, more than any other sin, has a way of creeping into our hearts. It has a way of creeping in and it assails us from all directions. In our society, I, 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 I am so grateful that we find this here in the first century. right? Because I don't think that the, we as modern Americans have a corner on covetousness or those kinds of things. But, but it, it's been going on for all of human history that people have been measuring their worth. People have been measuring um, their success. People have been defining their lives by how much stuff they have by how much stuff they have. And, and Jesus says to be on guard against this because covetousness and greed are pernicious and pervasive. They just, they just work their way into your lives. And, and it has a way of sneaking up on you. It has a way of sneaking up on you. And it's one of the prevailing sins of, of, of really of humankind. Right? Our entire society is built on having more stuff. Right? That, is, that is basically how our society works. Right? The way that things are advertised, right? and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a new car or a new truck um, it, or, or a new vehicle or a new boat or, or a new whatever. All of our lives are, are defined, or, or, or the people want to define our lives, rather, by what we have, right? by what we drive, by what kind of home we live in. Right? You, you look at the, the architecture of American homes or just even the size of American homes. Right? In California in 1950, right in the post-World War II building boom, they were building three-bedroom, one-bath homes that were about 1,100 square feet, um, and the really fancy ones had one-car garages. Right? And now look at the size of homes that we build. Right? It, they've, they've just gotten huge. We look at our you look at our clothing, and, 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 it just, and people are consumed so often by what they're going to wear and what they're gonna, how they're going to look and all these things. Right? And, and, and it just can completely and totally consume us if we are not watchful. And that's why Jesus says, take care and be on your guard. Right? That's the doctrine. 
That's the doctrine here. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And then he gives us the reason. He says, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Your life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right? Life is more than stuff. And it doesn't matter how old we are in our lives. It doesn't matter from, from little kids all the way into adulthood or all the way into to old age. People's lives, and it's amazing to me as, we, as we've had children, as I've, as I've seen people who are further on in life than me, it's amazing how our lives tend to be defined by this. I, I am convinced that the, the official currency of seven and eight-year-old boys is Legos. Right? Whoever has the most Legos, right? You've got, you look at this treasure trove of Legos. Right? For little girls, it could be dollhouse furniture or, or anything else. Look at all this stuff. Right? As you get a little bit older, as you, as you, as you approach age 16, right, all of a sudden it becomes what kind of car do you have? Right? In some places, it's enough to have any sort of car. Right? When, I, when I was 18 years old, I was ecstatic to have my 1982 Toyota Corolla. It was the most beautiful thing in the world because it represented freedom and liberty in my life. But I went to a school where that was like the biggest piece of junk car in the parking lot. Right? I went to, for, for some reason, we ended up living in the poor part of an affluent school district. And so the kid that sat next to me in the trumpet section drove his dad's, you know, BMW, that, the used one that his dad was done with, that he got handed down to him. And, you know, and he would give me a hard time for driving a piece of junk. And I said, my dad's never going to own a BMW, not even a used one, <laughs> that I could ever hope to have a, a vehicle like that. And, and so, so you go on from there, right? And you go on from... From, from, from that point, you go from Legos to you know, maybe a bicycle when you're 12, to a car when you're 16, to what college you get into when you're 18 or 19, to what home you buy, to, to what kind of furnishings you fill that home with, to, to, to all these kinds of things. Right? And, and, and it just keeps going up and up and up right, in our lives. And Jesus comes along and he says, your life does not consist in your, of your possessions. Your life does not consist of your possessions. And then Jesus teaches this parable. Jesus teaches this parable here that, that so appropriately and accurately illustrates this. Right? And, and, and I like it because it starts off really good. Verse, verse 16, it says, And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Here in verse 16, we find that there's a rich man who has a land and he's a farmer. And Jesus does not, does not condemn the man for being rich. And I think that's important to note that there is nothing wrong, right? There, there are some strains of Christianity that would, that, would, what, that would condemn people for being successful in business, that would condemn people for, for, for having money or having means that, that the Lord has provided and blessed them with. And, and, I, and I believe that's an aberrant uh, form of Christianity, that that's a, a falsehood in those doctrines, because there's nothing inherently wrong with, with earning a lot of money. And there is nothing inherently wrong with having a productive year. Right? It says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Being wealthy is not condemned, and having a successful business is not condemned by Christ here in this passage. In fact, those things are, are really um, pretty wonderful things when they happen. Right? If you pray to God, you know, Lord, if, if you would bless my business and, and if you work hard and God does put more provision into your life, if the Lord does um, bless your efforts and endeavors, those are good things. Those are good things to happen. And, and, and perhaps with farming, there is no more clear illustration of God's providence on blessing someone's business than farming. 
Right? I grew up in farm country, and it was not uncommon on Sunday mornings when there would be a collective time of prayer for all the farmers to pray for good weather. Right? Lord, we, we, we sure could use some rain. Lord, we just, we just ask that, that, that you would just be over our crops. Right? And th- those kinds of things. Right? Because when you're a farmer, you put the seed in the ground, and, and even with all of the, the best farming techniques and irrigation that you have, you are still dependent on the weather. Right? California, even though they don't get any rain, is dependent on our snowfall here in the Rockies to get their irrigating water. Right? And, and, and so as a farmer, you are completely relying on God's uh, good grace towards all of humanity for, for what goes on out in those fields. If the favorable conditions are not there, it is not going to happen. And so here's this man who, by the grace of God, has some land that produced plentifully. And here in verse 17 is where his attitude, where his heart, where covetousness and greed, because he wasn't taking care and because he wasn't on his guard, start to creep in. And he thought to himself, here's where it begins to go wrong. This man took counsel with himself. This is a self-made man, after all, right? He's rich. His land produced plentifully. And from this point in the passage, what we see is we see the word I, or the letter I, in the personal possessive pronoun. Hope I got that right. Um, six times. And we see the word my five times. It's just like I, 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 and my, 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 my. Right? This is a self-made man. In his, in his mind, this is all about him. This is all about what he's done. Look how wise I am. Look how I planted the crops at just the right time that they would hit their peak fullness or peak ripeness right at the correct time where I could get my laborers out in the field and, and, and harvest all the grain. Right? And he thought to himself, took counsel with himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? He took counsel with himself and asked himself, what shall I do? He asked himself, what shall I do? And so often, right, if you have a little bit of success in business, right, if you have a little bit of extra provision poured out into your life, right, you are the last person you should be asking yourself what you should do with this this money, right? This man was the last person he should be asking about what he should do. Because if I ask myself, right, speaking personally here, if I ask myself, right, what should I do with this? What should I do? I'm going to spend it on myself, Right? It's, 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 it's going to happen. Right? When you ask yourself, what should I do? It's like, oh, I've been thinking about a new pair of skis. Oh, I've been thinking about you know, doing a little bit of work on the, the house. Or, oh, you know, and it, it just goes on and on. Or, oh, I've been thinking about some new Legos. Or, or oh, I've been thinking about this. And you take counsel with yourself. Right? The first person you should take counsel with is the Lord. Right? This man, when he had an abundant crop, when his land produced plentifully, it should have been, and he prayed to the Lord, what shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? What would the Lord have you to do with your possessions? What would the Lord have you to do with your paycheck every other week or on the first of the month or, or, or however often you get paid? What would the Lord have you do with your financial resources? What would the Lord have you do with those things? Because I'll tell you what he's not going to have you do. He's not going to have you do what this guy does. Right? He says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Right? This was a rich man. He had land. He had, this is not the first time he had farmed. Right? And he had barns. He says, I have nowhere to store my crops. His barns were already full. 
Right? His, his land had already produced plentifully enough to fill up all that he had, and then he had this bumper crop year, and he had nowhere left to store his crops. And he said, I will do this. I've got a great idea. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods. He says, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns because there's just not enough room to contain all of the crop that I have. Right? That would be like you going to the bank and them saying, we don't have room in our vault for all of your money. Right? Can you imagine that for a moment? Right? That would be like the Powerball winner going down to Gunnison Bank and Trust with $325 million and saying, I want to make a deposit. And they would say... I don't really have room for that much. I don't have room for that much. That's crazy. That's crazy. This man, the bank isn't big enough to have all he has. And he's not stupid, right? He, he could have just sold it all, right? He could have just sold it all. But what's going to happen if you sell all your grain at one time, right? This is a localized, small economy. So it's going to drive the price down. Right, that would be dumb. You don't want to drive the price down. You don't want to lose money. So he's going to tear down his barns and build bigger barns. This man is shrewd. He doesn't want to flood the market with this crop. He wants to get the best possible price. And so he took a page, really, out of Joseph's business manual. Right, remember back in Genesis, right when Joseph, Joseph, um, and his Technicolor dream coat, Joseph. Um, was was shipped off, or not shipped off, but sold into slavery and ended up in Egypt, right? And many of us are familiar with this story that Joseph uh, rose to the ranks, or actually kind of ended up in prison before rising to the ranks. But but what led him to be to be taken out of prison and to be put into Pharaoh's service was Pharaoh had a dream, and none of his wise men could tell him the interpretation of the dream. And Joseph it was was known to some of the people that were in Pharaoh's household, and they said, there's a guy in jail who can tell you about your dream. So they bring Joseph in, and they clean him up, and they put some robes on him, and they place him before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him about the dream that he had back in Genesis chapter 40. And Pharaoh tells him, I had a dream, and in that dream, there were seven cows. Right? There were seven big, fat, beautiful cows. Right? And, and I think for those of us who are a little bit further removed from an agrarian economy, we, we have a hard time appreciating how beautiful a big fat cow is. Except I don't, because I walk by them on the trail back here, and I look at that big fat prime rib on the side of the cow and think, that is a beautiful looking prime rib. And right, So that's what Pharaoh saw. He saw nice big fat cows that came up out of the Nile River. And then in his dream, he saw seven measly cows. Right? These are not the kind of cows we see around here. Right? If you've ever traveled in the third world, you know what a measly cow looks like. Right, they, they're skinny. Right, you can see the ribs. There is no prime rib because you see the ribs, and that's a sad-looking cow. And the seven skinny, you know, emaciated cows came up out of the Nile River and ate the seven fat ones, which would have been okay if they were big and fat, but they were still skinny and emaciated. And Pharaoh says, "What's the meaning of this dream?" And Joseph said, I'll tell you the meaning of the dream. We're going to have seven. Each cow represents one year. We're going to have seven years of bumper crops. Just like this. We're going to have seven years of very abundant production on the land. But that's going to be followed by seven years of very hard famine. And Pharaoh says, well, what should I do? And Joseph says, well, you should collect the crops during the seven good years. You should build bigger barns. Right? And after the bigger barns are built, right, then when the seven bad years come, well, then you can sell the land. Or then not, you can sell the land, then you can sell the grain. 
And at first, people will come with their money. And this goes on through Genesis chapter 40, 41, and 42. Then the people come. The Egyptian people come. That that Joseph's family actually comes all the way from Israel and Palestine all the way down to Egypt to buy grain. And so Pharaoh, because he planned ahead, right? because he built bigger barns, he plundered that entire region of the world. He plundered all of it. It says that the people spent all their money, that they gave Pharaoh all of their livestock, that they gave Pharaoh all of their land, and then finally Pharaoh gave them seed back in exchange for one-fifth of the produce off of the land. That, That Pharaoh ended up with all of it. He was shrewd and he controlled the spigot. And that's what this guy is thinking to do. He says, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and all my goods, and I'm just going to control the flow. I'm just going to control the flow. I'm going to take down the right amount to market to where I can get maximum profit, but not depreciate the price of the commodity. And he says, I'm going to store up all my grain and all my goods. And then in verse 19, he, he reaches the really what apparently is the pinnacle of every society, not just ours. He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy is going to retire. That's what this is. This is a portrait of retirement. He is going to buy a boat, right? He is going to buy an RV and he's going to live in Gunnison in the summertime and then he's going to go down and he's going to live in Phoenix in the wintertime where it's warm, right? He is going to live the dream. He says, I will say, eat, drink, and be merry. He is going to live the American dream, right? Because he worked for it. He earned, he earned it, right? It's his. It's his to do with as he wishes. Right? Didn't he, he didn't ask the Lord what he should have done. He asked himself. And when we ask ourselves what we should do with all of our possessions, it always turns into this selfish, self-serving, self-seeking, self-satisfying thing. Right? Where we're just going to spend it all on ourself. Right? Think, even if he just took a portion of it. Right? Even if he just took a little bit and, and, and gave it to his workers. Right? There's no mention of that. Like, Boy, you know, I had a great year. I'm going to bonus all my guys. I'm going to bonus the guys that are out there building the barn. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of some folks. I'm going to care for the widows and the orphans in this community. I'm going to, I'm going to give some, some money to support the Lord's work at the local synagogue. There was none of that in this man's mind. It was just, I'm going to store it up, and I'm going to eat and drink, and I'm going to be merry, and I'm going to love my life. And then God comes to him and says, fool. The Lord comes to this man, the one with the real authority, breaks in on this little happy scenario and says, you fool, you aphrone, you mindless, egotistical, rash, unwise fool. It's over. Your time is up. It says, this night your soul is required of you in the things you have prepared Whose will they be? And he says, it's, oh, it's over. Your time is up. It's done. And it's just all that stuff. All that stuff. All those things you've prepared. Who are they going to be? Where is it going to go? Right? Where is it going to go? It is absolute foolishness for us to, to spend and to, to consume and to take all of the things that this world says that we need and just spend it on ourselves. It is absolute foolishness for it, for us to do that. Right? Because in the end, 
in the end. And this is this is this is all throughout Scripture, right? This is in this is in Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three. is a very similar um, admonition. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. And, and, and there's, not, there's not a condemnation, right? There's a, there's a promise that you're going to have enough, right? In Ecclesiastes, we find a, a similar... Um, a similar warning that we see here in Luke chapter 12. The, Solomon is like, why are you going to work so hard? Right? When you die, it's all going to be gone. Right? It's like the, 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 the joke, like you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Right? You, you cannot take it with you. And so if all you do is, is build up wealth, if all you do is just build it up and say to yourself, I'm going to relax, eat and drink and be merry, then, then at the end, right, when your soul is required of you and all the things that you have prepared for yourself, it's just not going to matter at all. It's all going to be for naught. In verse 21, Jesus gives this, this final warning. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Right? The foolishness of self-indulgence and covetousness is that it's all going to go away. That when you die, it is not going to be matter. It is not going to matter at all. Right? And if God has blessed you with a lot, right? and, and for many of us in here, that, that's where we are. Like God is, has exceedingly provided in our lives, we have right, a, a grave responsibility. Right? God has not blessed you financially right, just so that we can eat and drink and be merry. Right? That is not the reason that God has blessed you with stuff. That is not the reason that God has blessed you with possessions. But He has blessed you with it right, to be rich towards God. Jesus is saying, be rich towards God with your money and your stuff. And, and I, I don't know any other way to say it. Like that's, that's what this text is about. Jesus says, be on guard against all covetousness. Watch out for it because it will sneak in on you. And even if you work hard, even if you, you do all those things, right, it's still not your stuff. Right? There's this American myth. There's this myth that's built and ingrained into our psyche. Well, I worked for it. I earned it. Therefore, it's mine to do with whatever we please. And Jesus comes along and says, no, it's not. No, it's not. It belongs to God. And be rich towards God. Because in the final analysis, that's all that matters. Um, and kind of practically speaking, what that looks like is, is really quite simple. And I think, I think we know what it looks like, is that we, we, should, we should give of our first fruits, like it says back in Proverbs, that we should support the, the ministry of the local church, that we should be aware and, and looking for ways to, to be a financial blessing to people who have not um, been blessed financially as we have, that we should, we should not... The, the, first thing we, the first person that we should think of is not ourselves in these matters, but the first person that we should think of is Christ and how we can use our wealth to honor Him. And, and, and don't um, don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. So often, I think we um, and not that this is bad, but we, we 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 lie to ourselves. We say, "Well, when the house is paid off, then then I'll really be able to kick it up," or or, or "Oh, when 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 you know when I've got this nest egg established, then I'll really be able to kick it up." 
um, or, 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 or any of those kinds of things. Um, you know, when my business really takes off, then, you know, once I get over this certain percentage of income or, or, or whatever it is, then, then we'll really be able to be generous. Um, now's the time. Now's the time. Wherever, wherever God wants the money to go. Um, I'm not saying it needs to go here. Um, there's a lot of ministries. Um, there's a lot of people doing great work um, who, who need need our first fruits. Um, and, and that's it. Um, be generous and, and put yourself second. Let's, uh, let's pray. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would, uh, well, that you would write that truth on our heart. Um, Lord, we've been, we've been blessed with so much, um, God, and I, I just ask that we would, um, Lord, that we would take counsel with you. Lord, that we wouldn't, um, Lord, that we wouldn't take counsel with ourselves. Lord, that we wouldn't ask ourselves what we should do with, with our money. Lord, that we should, we wouldn't ask ourselves what we should do with our, our time and our possessions. Lord, but that we would, we would ask you what, what you would have us to do. Lord, I thank you for the, the abundant provision that you do pour out into our lives. And, and Father, I just ask that we would be faithful with, with whatever we have. Um, Lord, that we would give freely to you and to your, to your work. Lord, that we would, um, Lord, that we would constantly be opening up our homes to, to people who, who, who need a place. Lord, that we would, um, that our tables would be filled with friends and and family and those who don't know you, and that we would, uh, Lord, that we would just we would love and care in your name. Um, Lord, I just ask that we would, um, Lord, that you would give us all wisdom and discernment to to live within, um, within our means, so that we have. Um, more to give to you, God. That we would, we would think about our lives differently. Um, Lord, we we ask for your, your forgiveness where we fall short of this in, in so many ways. God, where we we fall short um, so often. Uh, Lord, I just I thank you for your grace, and uh, Lord, I just ask that as we as we come to the table, Lord, that you would. Um, Lord, that you would work on our hearts. Lord, that we would uh, revel in your mercy and that we would, uh, we would give praise to you um, because of your forgiveness. Lord, and that we would, um, Lord, no matter, no matter what comes into our lives, Lord, whether it be um, possessions or provision or, or anything else, Lord, but we would, um, Lord, we, would, we would be rich towards you. Um, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.